Welcome to the May 30th, 2006 edition of The Relevant Podcast, the audio companion to Relevant Magazine and RelevantMagazine.com. I'm Cameron Strang, and here with me is the editorial crew, editorial director Kara Davis. Hello. Managing editor Tyler Clark. Hi there. And Jesse Carey. Hello, friends. We have a lot in store for you today. We have an interview with Jason Russell from Invisible Children, the film and the movement. And a performance by none other than L.A. Symphony, our very own in-house hip-hop group. They just perform for us whenever we want. Coffee breaks, lunches, (laughs) staff meeting. They lead worship. (laughs) Birthday lunches. So all that's to come, but up first, your entertainment releases. Coming out in theaters today, May 26th, we have An Inconvenient Truth, George Bush's favorite movie. Yeah. Yeah, Well, he, he snubbed Al Gore. When asked if he was going to see it, what did he say? He said, "Doubt it." Doubt it. Yeah, yep. and, and Al Gore offered to come to the White House just to show it to him and to so, punch him in the stomach yeah. too. <laughs> uh, it's a documentary on Al Gore's crusade to raise awareness on the issue of global warming. He's so vigilant. Also coming out in theaters, X Men: The Last Stand, starring the guy from Star Trek and other people. Starring the guys from X-Men 1 and 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And produced by... Oh, Ralph Winner, yeah. who's been profiled in Relevant Magazine. He's a Christian. Or is it directed by... No, uh, he's a producer. Okay. Coming out in stores on Tuesday, we have Boards of Canada, Trans-Canada Highway EP on Warp Records. And that's it. Yeah, there, there's not really, it's not really a big release day. I mean, there was a couple obscure names that aren't even worth mentioning, but... There's a ton the following week. So should we tell them about like four of the ones coming out? For I the think next four week? is fair. Four is fair. All right. Coming out on 6606, a week from Tuesday, Desperation Band. Oh, that's that's good timing for them. Desperation <laughs> Bands. It's a worship band. Uh, who You Are on Integrity. They advertise in Relevant Magazine, so support them. Fair, the best worst case scenario on Tooth and Nail. Aaron Sprinkle's new band, the guy from uh, uh, Poor Old Lou. Yeah, and, and he's he pr- produced just about every record that's ever come out of Tooth and Nail. Yeah, I found out he. The reason for that is he runs like Tooth and Nail owns a, uh, a studio, and he runs that studio for him, which um, is why he produces so much but of it, Tooth and Nail stuff. It is a really good album. It really is. Yeah, Sonic Youth is coming out with Rather Ripped. Are they saying that they're rather ripped? They've uh, put on a lot of muscles since the last <laughs> record. They've been doing a lot of uh, ab crunches. Curls. Yeah, they're they're not ripped, but they're Spots. rather ripped. They're rather ripped. Yeah. And Head Automatica Propaganda is coming out on six six oh six. Propaganda on six six oh six. It's it's a big day for releases. It's a big day for Satan. <laughs> That'll do it for entertainment releases. Next up, slices. Yeah, we'll both live again Well, I don't 
listening to Modest Mouse. The song is Ocean Breathes Salty. You know, that's true. The ocean does breathe salty. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Modest Yahoo, King Without a Crown, both of which are playing right now at Relevant TV. Modest Yahoo is actually the featured video this week. Um, If you haven't checked out Modest Yahoo, you definitely need to. He's um, actually a Jewish rapper. But since the Jews and the Christians serve the same God, when he's talking about God and serving him and all those things, you know, it's something that can apply to us as well. Get into it. We can get into it. It's it's amazingly profound and spiritual and just good hip hop slash reggae. It's really good stuff. You know, I went, I went to a Modest Yahoo concert and Pigeon John open. Yeah. Pigeon John open for him. No way. Yeah. And it was the most bizarre crowd because you had like the kids who are into like underground hip hop aren't like the hip hop heads. It's like the white kids. So you had all these white kids who were into underground hip hop. You had all the Asian kids who were into underground hip hop. And then you had all these Hasidic Jews with the big beers and the curly sideburns and the big hats and stuff because they were there just to support their brethren. Mm-hmm. And so they, you could tell they weren't really into the music, but they just heard a, there was a Jewish concert in town, so they all came out, you know. Yeah, and what we thought was in, was interesting was that um, Manas Yahoo was you know, in the full Hasidic Jew garb. And so we kind of figured, uh, we don't know a whole lot about it. Maybe they, they wear that all the time. And all the other guys in the crowd were like, you know, in jeans and leather jackets and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. that, uh, Which makes it the black suit and the white shirt thing kind of sticky. Yeah, that's yeah. what, yep. like, I was telling Sean, like, I, you know, I like the music. It's it's not my favorite, but I kind of feel like th- there's an element of gimmick about him. Well, the thing is, is he wasn't Jewish at all. He, um, in fact, our little write-up about the featured video that says uh, his deeply rooted faith and his upbringing in Judaism, that's not what his bio says. Well, I actually read on uh, Wikipedia today that he got pretty heavily into it, like around high school age. Right. Well, no, he his upbringing was completely secular, and he had no religious affiliation at all. And then in his late teens, he decided he wanted to go find himself, and so he climbed a mountain in Colorado. And it was at the top of one of these mountains that he just had this really spiritual experience, really felt the Lord and decided to convert to Judaism. And so when he came down, I mean, he just, he converted. So his upbringing was completely secular, but uh, he decided to convert to Judaism. He kind of found God on his own in Colorado. Is he, uh, is he have Hebrew origin? Do we know? Well, I think he, He's I think just, he has no uh, really. racial yeah, background no. in that. It's just, mm-hmm. he decided which is interesting. Yeah. You don't really hear a lot about that, you know? Yeah. So, there you go, Modest Yahoo, which makes the whole gimmick thing kind of like, maybe even more so, because yeah. you didn't yeah. grow up in that culture. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's all just grow big beards. That'd be cool. <laughs> I, I tried a couple of weeks ago. It just was splotchy. <laughs> I shaved it off. because you made it with coffee beans and chapstick. <laughs> and now with slices, here's Kara Davis. Well, my slice isn't really good to start off, to lead off with, ooh, but... Ooh. Jess, you have something can better? I, can I got I got one that's really funny. I don't wanna I don't wanna start another discussion, but I do have something that's kind of funny and it's more of lighthearted, but it has to do along kind of along the same lines. Actually an old uh, a lot of you really long time listeners remember Juan, Kim. He actually sent me this. I guess once you're a slice guy, you're always a slice guy. <laughs> <laughs> the radar's always apparently up. yeah. Apparently he got a um a press release about Pat Robertson's age-defying milkshake that he's selling. Shut up. No way. And on the press release, the first line is, 
Do you know that Pat Robertson can leg press 2,000 pounds? <laughs> How does he do it? <laughs> and it goes on to talk about the health shake. Now, Juan emailed me. He's like, this is hilarious. It has to be a typo. Turns out it's not a typo. Oh, no. come on. He actually claims on the show that he can bench press 2,000 pounds. Oh, wow. So I was a little curious. That's clear. a car. Yeah. It, I, oh, I was, it, it that's better. a ton. It it's better. a ton. So Literally. I was I was a little curious of maybe maybe that's com- I've never leg pressed you know so I did a quick Google search of world record leg press <laughs> first century was about Pat Robertson turns out there's a sports columnist for CBSSportsLine.com who also got the press release and has heard on the show several times Pat Robertson make the same claim and this guy has been uh, his mission has been able to do 400 pounds. So, <laughs> he, he did a little research of his own. Here, here's what he wrote. That would mean a 76-year-old man broke the all-time Florida State University leg press record by 665 pounds. <laughs> Further, when he set... Th- there was a guy... There's this guy who actually set the record. Further, when, when this guy set the record, he had to modify a leg press machine to fit 1,335 pounds of weight, which is a world record. When he did that, when this when the guy broke the world records, the capillaries in his eyes burst. So that means that Pat Robertson <laughs> defeated the the world champion by a considerable margin, shattered his record. So the sports and columnist, his capillaries. Yeah. So so the sports columnist wrote this letter to the Seven Hundred Club. I would like to interview Pat Robertson about his leg press workout and protein shake. <laughs> if possible, I would like to accompany Pat on his workout where I could help him stack 44 different 45-pound plates he would need to attach to a leg press 2,000 pounds. Oh, By my calculation, his leg press of 2,000 pounds requires 22 45s and one 10-pounder on each side. He says that... On each side. Yeah, so, we, so the guy claims that if Pat Robertson... Can can do this, then he he will box Andrew Galata without wearing a jock strap. <laughs> he also said that he will actually drink the shake himself and attempt to leg press a Mazda Miata with three clowns sitting inside. <laughs> so I don't. We're, I think the verdict is still out to see if the the protein shake really has the effect to shatter world records in leg press. But Pat Robertson is seventy six years old. Where is the breakdown here? I mean, how did this happen? Uh, maybe it means two thousand ounces. It says I thought you know two hundred pounds would make sense. You know, that's what Juan says. He goes, they must have added an extra zero. But apparently, he Pat makes this claim on the show all the time. Or maybe it's a cumulative total. I have. <laughs> squatted yeah. leg press 2,000 pounds. This is so now, bizarre. Maybe now, he's I, talking about like British pounds. Like he just takes some <laughs> coins and, you know. Well, like, I, I, you know, I grew up in, in the Virginia Beach area and a lot of people I went to church worked at seven worked at CBN and I had people tell me, you know, Pat is in really good shape. Mm-hmm. Like he can bench press like 300 pounds. Like and he I might thought, be the strongest man in the world. Yeah, like shape. I thought, I thought, okay, I have a hard time believing that this old guy is bench pressing 300 pounds. That makes 2,000 pounds sound all the more astounding. <laughs> I guess this is one of those stories that is, is constantly developing. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. So when he said that, that we should take someone down, the, that the U.S. government should take someone to uh, assassinate the uh, Venezuelan prime yeah, minister, president, fine. he meant himself, right? It, it's it's He's funny. Just kick him. It's funny that you him mentioned that. a band of mercenaries. It's like Rambo. <laughs> <Yeah>. Pat Robertson. <laughs> 
He's going to have all the bullets, like a sash across <laughs> him. He's going to camo. He, yeah, he personally goes overseas to do... Vigilante yeah. justice. Yeah. <laughs> Secret mercenary missions. He's the, he's the Jack Bauer of the, of the religious right. His catchphrase is, revenge is mine, <laughs> saith Pat Robertson. So I really want to try the milkshake. Heck know? yeah. I mean, superhuman strength. <laughs> Literally. I mean, it could be a typo, but... But the, if he's saying the words 2000 on the air, yeah, and, that's, and, he's not typoing with his mouth. And, it, and, it's, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, this guy sent him... This guy sent the 700 Club a, let- a letter and published a story, and there's been no retraction by the 700 Club. Oh, man. So, apparently, Pat's sticking to his guns on this one. <laughs> wow. wow. That definitely beat my slice. In fact, I don't, I don't even want to read my I know. Slice, I don't know how any, anything can, can follow that. I do have an interesting bit of news. Um, our associate editor, Tia Stoffer, went home this past weekend to see her parents in Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, her parents were visiting with their neighbors across the street. And they they told them that, oh, this is my daughter, Tia. She works at Relevant. Relevant? Oh. And they run inside the house and bring out a copy of Relevant. Amazing. And they're like, oh, our son is on the cover of Relevant. It's Derek Webb's parents. <laughs> That's so weird. Isn't that bizarre? In like Lincoln, Nebraska. I didn't even know people lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. That Other is just corn. Tia's parents. And a couple goats. I just think that's amazing. Not that as amazing, amazing as leg pressing 2,000 pounds. Oh, our son was on the cover relevant and he leg squats 2,000 pounds. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, he, he has a really good milkshake. That <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing. You can d- actually download the recipe for free. So I'm curious if maybe maybe we can give this to a reader that would like to attempt some... I don't want to be responsible for any reader getting hurt, but maybe just some feat of strength. Because <laughs> I don't think I'm willing to try the milkshake. <laughs> so Joan Baez, the, uh, the old uh, 60s folk singer, who's kind of the, the female Bob Dylan in the 60s, she is, um, has committed to living in a tree... Yes, living in a tree to raise awareness about a 14-acre Los Angeles farm that is uh, set to be destructed by by the city of Los Angeles. Interesting. Um, that reminds me of that episode of Arrested Development yep. where Clint Howard went up in the tree. Mm-hmm. Why does she want it saved? Because she's an old hippie. Um, <laughs> does anybody else want it saved? No, um, she's, she's climbing up there with uh, Jill Butterfly Hill, who... Um, <laughs> Uh, has done this a lot. Like she climbs in trees to, you know, save the environment. It, is the tree on the property? Um, I believe so. <laughs> because what would be preventing him <laughs> to be like, hey, right. have fun I, up in that tree? In the meantime, we're bulldozing the land. You know? Yeah, I, it, it would only make sense. So, well, you know my opinion. Pave over those prairie dog holes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's, that was an old, be- that's an old reference, like two weeks ago. There's a town in central Missouri who has denied occupancy uh, to a family who has purchased a, a single-family home. The couple, they aren't married, but they have three children, and the city of Blackjack, as it's called, has an ordinance that prohibits more than three people living together unless they're related by blood, marriage, or adoption. So um, they feel like you know the city is pushing a moral agenda on them that they don't agree with. And I guess there's 10 other families in eastern Missouri who who has been kind of like driven out of town by a similar situation. 
So they've taken it up with the ACLU. I think that the origination of that law was so you couldn't have essentially frat houses or 30 people living in a two-bedroom home. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? You couldn't have like... That right. kind of thing. So they put on there that if it's more than three people, it has to be one family. Mm-hmm. And I think conservatives are trying to use that to enforce the definition of family. Even if yeah. it was just the other way, it doesn't seem very practical. Because I've lived in an apartment with four, with, it was a total of four roommates. Not in Missouri. That's true. <laughs> Never lived there. Well, the weird thing about it is that if you are uh, unmarried parents and you have one kid, that's okay. But yeah, I mean, because, two, again, you're, you're looking at why the law was probably enacted mm-hmm. was to control just how many yeah. people can live in one one mm-hmm. house. Yeah. And, again, I think now that, you know, they found essentially a loophole to enforce morality. I wanted to bring up all the, some, not the feedback that we got from last week, but um, it's kind of interesting. We got a lot of emails, and there's some message board posts about the topic that we talked about in Slices last week about the money stuff. And and I think and even in the in the office and the staff since the podcast came out, a lot of conversations have happened. And I think what's funny is that there were essentially three different conversations that got kind of smashed into one. You know, yeah. And and uh, I I kind of want to clarify. I'm going to take a minute, not fifty. But I'm going to take a minute and clarify, like kind of what I was trying to say last week. You know, I think looking at this specific example of this news item of Randy White. Um, selling vitamins and Pat Robertson bench pressing 2,000 pounds and selling milkshakes and stuff like that. I think I think it's very valid to be concerned with it. I think um, that it's fair to say that that can be seen as a manipulation of the platform that they've been given, the spiritual platform they've been given. And that's a slippery slope. Absolutely. I'm 100% in agreement with that. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to judge the situation. You know, I actually personally, you know, Trying to be balanced here. Try to have. Try to see both sides of the coin, and that's the point I was starting to make. I was even just kind of just prodding you with my devil's advocacy last week, just to say, hey, you know, it's too easy to just point our finger and say, shame on you. Uh, let's try and you know uh, have understanding and consider the other viewpoint before we just jump to, you know, conclusion. That's kind of where I was going. the uh, the uh, The conversation then shifted to money, you know, and the lifestyle that he has. And then it shifted to the prosperity gospel. You mm-hmm. know, it's inevitable that we went down that road. But yeah. I think there are three separate conversations. I think that, yes, we can all agree that the news item that you read is questionable. Okay. I'm not disagreeing with you on yeah. that. Okay. I think that then the conversation of the prosperity gospel, I actually wrote a column in 2003 about that, about how it's just, I'm tired of, you know, the pulpit kind of equating your spiritual maturity with the size of your bank account. You know, I don't, I think the two are completely unrelated. (laughs) I think that you have some very, very rich Christians who are spiritually dead. And I think you have some very, very poor Christians that are spiritually alive. I mean, to me, the two don't equate. I think, like I said in the podcast that the prosperity gospel message is misleading and out of balance and, you know, can be deceiving to a lot of people um, when you are, essentially saying that if you give X amount, God then owes you, you know, that times 10, the motives of giving are now turned to what you can get out of it and not just out of a pure heart giving is unto the Lord. Okay. So I think that's where it can get out of balance very, very fast. But the issue, and this is where I wanted to go with the issue of, of living with money or having money or blessings, I think are, is actually unrelated to the other two. 
I think that, and that's really what we talked mostly about. And by me kind of defending the fact that I feel uh, God can financially bless somebody and their heart can still be pure. I think it got misconstrued that I was in endorsing Randy Mm -hmm. White and endorsing all these, you know, preachers who are out there hawking their wares, you know. You know, I do feel personally that the Bible talks and Jesus talks about purity. He talks about not being a lover of money that he um, talks about humility and love and grace and and all those things. Um, I don't necessarily think that that means you can't have uh, a bank account with zeros in it. Um, you know, somebody gave the example of, you know, I just, if you, if you um, have a lot of money in your bank account and you're relying on that money, you're not relying on God. You should give it all away. And, you know, if you have a million dollars in the bank and that are invested and you can get 10% interest on that every year, uh, you could go give that million dollars away, or over the next 20 years, you could give a lot more than that away. I, again, you know, just because you have that doesn't mean that your security is in that. Listen, you could have nothing and be completely content. And, and I know a lot of people who are. But I also know a lot of people who don't have much, and all they can think about is the fact that they want more or they need more. Uh, they need to make more money or this or that or whatever. On the other side, I know a lot of people who have things that are not content, that they want more things. Their focus is on obtaining more things. But I also know people who the Lord has trusted with money, and, and, they're, and they're completely content in God. Their, their contentment is not found in, the, in what they have. Um, it's found in the Lord. So whether you have nothing or whether you have a lot, it's an issue of where your heart lies. Is, is your life focused on earthly things? Or is your life focused on eternal things? Where are you building your kingdom? And regarding the issue of wealth, it's a stewardship issue, in my opinion. And if your focus is on obtaining things or obtaining a position or obtaining uh, a status or impressing somebody, you have to check the motive of your heart. And, you know, if those things don't matter to you, you know, I don't think that having those things is necessarily a problem. It is possible that you can be successful in a business or in an art or if you make great music or whatever and obtain earthly possessions, but your desire was never really to obtain those earthly possessions. You were just good at what you did or you were just using the gifts God gave you to the fullest and he, you know, you were blessed financially as a side product of that. You know what I mean? I don't think yeah. that that's where I was going. So anyway, I've, I've said my piece. Scripture calls David uh, a man after God's own heart and David went, went on to be king and you know went on to have a lot of wealth and there are a lot of people in scripture who have money and who um, are simultaneous, simultaneously uh, pursuing God and at the center of God's will for their lives and I think to say that you have to be poor to be uh, really pursuing God uh, I just don't think that's a, a biblical uh, to say. I don't know that you can really defend that with scripture. Well, and two, you know, you look at the different areas God has called people to go. You know, let's say some people are called into media or some people like us or some people call into music or some people are called into whatever and they want to make art or music or media or business that reflects their faith, that could even lead people to Jesus. But without somebody with resources, <laughs> you know, being part of that, it, it would be impossible. Yeah. You know, resources are necessary in our current economy to have, you know, to have national impact in that respect. So that's just one example, though. You know, but yeah, if there are a lot of people whose focus is on what they have and what they can obtain, and that's not biblical, but I don't think that having money and prosperity is a problem. You know, 
the issue of what well, you know if you have a three million dollar house that's lavish that's not living modestly um but who am I to say that because to some people a four hundred thousand dollar house is lavish and unnecessary um you know and if I could afford a literally afford a $50 million house. And I chose to live in a $3 million house. Isn't that saying something, you know, you know, that kind of, you know, so it's like, who's to say what the exact standard is. Again, we don't know the heart and that's tough to judge. That's between them and the Lord. And if you have a problem with somebody's lifestyle, then don't live your life that way. Um, but there is no clear cut biblical standard of X amount is appropriate. And X amount is not. Um, and we need to be careful pointing our fingers at people um, it, you know, look at ourselves is, is that judgment that we're, you know, having on them, is that judgment based in jealousy? Is that judgment based in our own pride? Uh, what is it? What's, you know, we need to look at our own hearts in that respect. So we just need to be careful. And, and I also, I just to go on the record, like, I, I don't, you know, I, what I was reading was from like a news piece and I don't personally know Randy White and I've never had any interaction with him so like i'm you know i i don't want and i don't like i was just pointing something out that i honestly it did seem shady to me sure. but i don't i don't know you know what i mean like i don't know him and i don't know his ministry so i don't want to come across as someone who is making big blanket judgments and and if it come if it came across that way you know that wasn't my intention or or even where i went to school like i, I don't want to i don't want to like bad mouth things that a lot of things you kind of have to chew up the meat and spit out the fat. You know, no one's perfect. Right. You know, I, I was having a conversation last night that, you know, the, the the church is always, you know, it's the bride. Of, like, God loves the church, even though it's imperfect. But that doesn't mean we can't strive for perfection. But right. And you guys are cool, right? There was I, I saw something on the message boards about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody yeah. said that on the message boards, and I immediately got him into my office. And I'm like, dude, I'm I'm sorry. I apologize if I you know offended you. Yeah, <laughs> that that was surprising. I, I don't. It, yeah, listeners don't know that this yeah. kind of thing happens every day, all the time, and I mean, it's just a part of Wait, the discussion. You're making it sound like I, I I'm out heavy-handedly soapboxing every day, all the no, time. No, I mean discussions, gotcha. um, like when we come up with story ideas and things like that. I mean, we have to look at both sides of the story you know, to decide kind of what is the worldview that we want to project out there. Um, so, you know, we're trying to be thoughtful, present different sides and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to point a finger of criticism at pretty much everything in American Christianity. It's too easy. And I think, you know, I wrote this column in 2003 and I was just like, I can't watch TBN. I'm tired of all this crap. Well, I don't watch TBN anymore. Uh, really the Lord convicted me to, rather than watch these things and get a critical spirit about them, to just avoid them. <laughs> yeah. just avo- I, don't, I haven't listened to a gospel prosperity message in a few years. I, I, just, I just have to avoid that scene just to guard my own heart. But, you know, and I think being away from all that, um, th- the backlash tendency in me has, has lessened and I've mellowed a bit. And I really do want to have a biblical perspective and is everything in my life, if it's possible, you know, so I'm striving for, and I want to have a balanced perspective on finances. I want to have a, a correct perspective on humility and modesty and simplicity and generosity and all those things, you know, I'm, that's what I'm striving to understand. And, and, you know, I just don't want to 
it's too easy for our generation to point our finger at something and say, that's wrong, throw the baby out with the bathwater, and then try to do it our own way. Because I really think at the root of it, it's, it's, it's pride. You know, we see it everywhere. We're doing a story in this next issue on, on the postmodern movement, and some of the criticisms that are raised is that our generation has, you know, looked at the model of contemporary church and said, it's wrong, it's not biblical, it's flawed. And we throw the baby out of the bathwater, we just hang out in pubs with a couple of our friends, and that's our church. And I go back to what Rob Bell talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, where there's, we need to look backwards. We need to look at kind of the foundations of our faith and, and realize that a lot of what has been built is rooted in biblical uh, messages and, and that we can't throw the baby out of the bathwater. We need to learn from our heritage and learn from this current situation. Maybe it's flawed and maybe God will open our eyes to things that could and should be different, but we can't go around in pride pointing our finger of judgment at how things are because my extreme examples last week um were were simply meant to to point out that it's easy to point at what we read about randy white and say that's wrong and i then kept giving example after example after example of what well if that's wrong is this wrong well if that's wrong is this wrong and then it kept peeling it back that we could literally do this to everything yeah even our own lives yeah you know, is going and spending $4 for a coffee at Starbucks wasteful. You know what I mean? And so it's like, that's where we need to be careful. The Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. And and you will be judged to the degree that you judge others. And our generation has got to heed this warning. We cannot walk around like know-it-alls, you know, acting like we have it all figured out because we don't. Yeah, and, and at the same time, like, I feel like we... There, there's always room for correction, but correction is made out of love. Like mm-hmm. it's something like mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be someone who who's an outsider that is making the these observations. Like if I want to make an impact, I want to be involved in the church. And if there are things that that need correction, like I think it should come through relationship and through. You know, even with that interview with Rob Bell, you joked with him at the end that, oh, are you going out to make some trouble? And, you know, he, he kind of said back, you know, troublemakers have done a lot of have done a lot of good things. But if you look back, you know, I'm no expert on church history, but it's like the people that did make a difference weren't these people that were outsider to the church. There were people that were in the church and that loved the church. Like Martin Luther. Huh? Yeah, exactly. These guys, because as an outsider— it, it comes across as judgment, but when you do it out of love, it's different. Like there, there always is room for correction, but it's ha- you just have to go about the correct ways. You know, when I when we first started relevant, it was kind of a reaction to the fact that our generation wasn't finding what they were looking for in, in church, and we were leaving in droves. And you know, one of the things that we started that was a part of our thought process when we started this was. You know, we want to be different in that respect. We actually, I think Jesus loves the church, even with all its flaws. And and if church isn't meeting our needs, you know, we see gaps and we see opportunity, you know, needs that it has that is aren't being served. Rather than leaving, why not try to enact change from within? Yeah. Why not get involved? Well, I mean, they Scripture uses the um, the terminology of the bride of saying that the church is the bride of Christ. And therefore, you know, Christ is not going to, to abandon his bride just in the same way that, that none of us, you know, would, would abandon our spouse just because, you know, like my wife might, might disappoint me. She might make me upset. 
I might be frustrated with her. Although I'm never as frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, someone tells me I'm never as frustrated with her, with her as she is with me. <laughs> but um, but you know, despite all these things that might happen, like I'm not going to abandon her because of that. And and, and in the same way, like we can't abandon uh, the church. Uh, I, I was gonna say I I, I was editing a, a story for a web story. It was a month ago. Well, it was probably a month ago. And anyway, like the person had said something that kind of stuck with me. I recently got married and me and my wife are trying to figure out which church we want to get plugged into in the area. But in the story, it said a mis- the person was, it was kind of a first person kind of deal. And said so the f- mistake I made was I was looking at what church was going to meet my needs and not what uh, church I can meet the needs of. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's something that has kind of ch- shifted my thinking about the church. Yeah, I agree. And if all you do is, is, is abandon something, what you're doing is you're leaving it, to the people who you disagree with or you're leaving it to the people who you don't like the It'll way that they're get doing worse. it. Yeah. It's just going to get worse and you're, you're not being a positive light in that. I liked what you said about not just being outsiders, pointing our fingers at it and saying there's problems there, but getting in there and, and being a voice of change from within and change with love, you know? I mean, it's like the, the example of Paul would go and, and, and debate and genuinely engage people, but it was because it wasn't like he was this guy that came strolling up, you know? And even, you know, he, he familiarized himself with, with philosophy and, and the culture. And even it's interesting when you read his letters to the church. You know, these aren't churches that, hey, Paul's passing through, this guy, let him stop by. If we didn't have correction within the church, half we wouldn't have half our New Testament because that's what it is. It's, let, it's letters that Paul wrote to churches that were of correction. And But I love, like, the greetings at the beginning of books because it shows that Paul had a relationship with these people. That that he you know, sometimes he'll say, Greetings to so and so and so and so. Like these were these were his people. You know? He wasn't like I said, he wasn't like a just a traveler that would stop in your church and with a notebook and say, This is what you guys are doing wrong. You know? Mm-hmm. He was involved with these people. That's good, Jesse. There's something to be said for the idea of rather than pointing out everything that's wrong. Live your life in a way that shows how things should be, if it makes sense. Like, rather than Relevant Magazine running a cover story every time about how this thing is wrong, and how that thing is wrong, and how that thing is wrong, I don't want to be known for that. I don't want to feel the critical spirit that our generation has. But instead of doing that, maybe what we should do is point out the people who are doing it right start to hold up a new standard, start to change the opinion of kind of our audience and of maybe even national opinion or cultural opinion by showing a new model of, you know, a positive change. Rather than pointing our finger downward and looking down our noses at the problem, let's look, let's just turn 180 degrees and start going this other way. And if you build it, they will come. Other people will join us. If you look, I mean, an example of doing that is honestly what the homosexuals have done in entertainment over the last 10, 15 years. If they came out 10, 15 years ago and started trying to get a bunch of press about the American entertainment industry hates us and won't represent us and this, that, whatever, they would have ostracized themselves. They would have been a fringe group. But what they did is they got involved in the entertainment industry. And I mean, there was actually like a strategic plan mapped out. Uh, It's like there was this uh, meeting of, um, homosexual leaders uh, in D.C. in the early 90s when they plotted out an agenda of how to kind of change 
their acceptance and culture. And they plotted an agenda to get involved in the entertainment industry and actually have their writers be writers on shows and have their producers produce shows. And that those people in their, in their influence on the inside would start to just naturally weave in gay characters or just naturally, you know, talk about gay issues. And it became accepted. You know, the American... And, and they produce quality stuff. Yeah. We wouldn't be seeing this if, if the it was stuff just wasn't all good. crap, right. Whether or not you like it. Right. And so, you know, they start... And then by doing that, they gained acceptance and they started to change national opinion. And now they are, you know, working to legislate change, change legislature based on that changing national opinion. You know, they didn't stand there and point their fingers at how things were and accuse it of being wrong. They just decided to go in there and kind of show a different way of how they feel it should be. And guess what? 10, 15 years down the road, we're in a different cultural state because of that choice. What if we as Christians did something like that? Rather than saying TBN sucks and these pastors suck and this prosperity sucks, why not just we in our generation work to, from within, you know, get involved in the churches, get involved in the Christian media that exists and start to be voices of change and start to do, you know, talk about other things and show a different type of Christian entertainment mm-hmm. or a different type of Christian ministry. And, and, and it's subtle. It's not overnight. It's subtle. But I guarantee you in 10 years, if our generation is the one behind the scenes running Christian television, all that, you're going to see a big difference than what we're looking at right now. But it's, it takes us getting involved out of love, serving, and doing quality stuff in the media, in church, in business, and showing a different model of how things could be rather than just pointing our fingers at how things are. Tyler, you wrote a similar column about this in The Relevant Leader. Yeah, um, I think that uh, it's so easy to just be a, to be a protester. It's so easy to, to, to throw your hands up in the air and, and, and say, I don't want to be a part of this. Um, you know, this part of the church sucks and so I'm, I'm quitting it all together or, or this part of whatever sucks. Maybe it's, it, it's, you know, I think a lot of Christians, you know, look at, at the outside culture and, and, or media and say this part of it sucks and so you abandon it all together. And whether you're abandoning the church or you're abandon, abandoning the culture, either way, you're keeping those two things from, from ever colliding. Um, and by doing that, they will never, um, the church will never be able to, to, uh, influence a culture that it that it refuses to acknowledge, and by you not getting involved in in the church, as we already kind of said, you're not able to influence it for the better either. I think uh, on the other side, it's just important. I know at least for myself is to just remain humble and no matter, it, it just realize that I don't have all the answers and be and be willing to like hear a voice of correction. And because because otherwise, you know, there's been times where. I've looked back and I'm like, I'm just as bad as what I didn't like, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the, the structures that I was against, I was against them because they wouldn't listen. And then I, I kind of looked at myself and was like, well, I'm not willing to listen either. And so I think it's important that, you know, it's humility is so key. I mean, obviously in throughout the gospel, but at the same time, if we really want to make strides forward, it's like, we have to be willing to hear other people and and realize you know we're not perfect i mean we strive for perfection but we can't block out voices that are against us either or else we become just like the people that we're against you and, know? and that's kind of the cycle that i think we've seen over the last few generations it's like our parents parents you know ultra conservative then our parents kind of said that's wrong and so then they you know went a completely different direction in the 60s and 70s. And then, you know, then the next generation came up and said, that's completely wrong. And the 80s kind of changed everything. I mean, even if you look at the church, 
um, not, mm-hmm. not let alone culture, but you know, it's one of those things that everybody, the next generation comes up and says, that's wrong. We're going to do it our way. And, and, and so we're all just kind of like, we keep restarting the same cycle, you know? And, and honestly, that was at the root of everything. I, I, all the rhetorical devil's advocacy I had last week was just the root of it was we've got to consider the other side. We can't jump to our own assumptions. Um, even if it looks pretty black and white, we need to consider the other side. We always need to consider the other side. I, you know, Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom and understanding and, and I really want to strive for that in my own life, especially as we make decisions about the magazine and what to cover and how to cover it. We've got to have wisdom. We've got to have two viewpoints. The article on the postmodernism, we have two very clear and very different viewpoints represented in it. And I think that's so valid and so important in our process is growing as adults to, uh, to learn from others and learn from people we don't agree with and say, okay, how did they get to where they are? Like literally, how did they come to that conclusion? Why are they doing it that way? And and under and if we have understanding of that, it'll help us say, oh, okay. See, I think he got off track back there. So at the core of it, maybe his heart could be right. It just maybe got sidetracked a little bit, you know. And that could just be our opinion. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's just I think it's important that we always try to consider two sides of a, of a, of something before we rush to judgment on it. Anyway. Well, that's two weeks in a row we had a heavy slices. Yeah, somebody on the message boards was disappointed that I didn't make a good joke. <laughs> um, didn't think it was either the time or the place. But, uh, <laughs> like during the discussion, he didn't like, yeah. give us a real zinger. He was like, it was slices, man. You got to keep it light. Where were you, Tyler? And, uh, <laughs> he's, just, he's just like jumping all over us, just, just saying jokes. He's yeah. like, knock, 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 knock. <laughs> Anyway, that'll uh, that'll do it for slices. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're already like 40, 45 minutes into this podcast. and It's another marathon. It's another marathon. And we haven't even gotten to the interview, to the LA Symphony performance and feedback and updates. The, the reality is, is, you know, we're on deadline. Yep. And um, the, the uh, magazine goes to print on Tuesday. As much as we would love to spend all of our time just doing podcasts... We actually have other things to do. <laughs> so so here's what I propose, and I, th- I think we should do, is run this 45 minutes as part one. I vote yes. And the remaining half will be done next week and run as part two on Friday. Um, if if you listeners remember, last time we were on, on deadline, which is two months ago, we just skipped the podcast that week. So rather than complain... Did we? Yeah, yeah. There was a week that we just missed oh. it. It was two months ago. Obviously, I didn't miss it. Uh, <laughs> well, we recorded it. I just never put oh, it up. Oh yeah, that's the okay. remember because yep. we were so slammed on yeah. deadline. Anyway, it was Flynn was gone. And we were slammed mm-hmm. on deadline. Flynn's still gone, and we're slammed on deadline. So basically, um, rather than missing it all together next Friday, we'll just run the second half of this week's podcast next Friday. L.A. Symphony. Jason Russell from Invisible Children. You won't want to miss it. It's uh, some really good stuff in store, so definitely tune in, right? Yeah, it's good stuff. Okay, so that's the end of part one, and we'll see you next week. Yo, I need money, but not just for me, but for the fam. If I don't bring home the bacon, y'all say I ain't the man. Jehovah Jireh, he's the great I am, and I've been praying and believing for 300 grand. I'm great with the pen, but I suck with the plan. My money running out like some cheating husband. I'm so broke and dope, I'm a great has-been. I'm a crying man. Trying to find fame.
15 cents. Now here we go again. The usual predicament. No means to an end. The dead I can't get rid of it. A money song again. Can't you pick a different song? When it comes to being broke, it's the usual suspect. Relevant podcast. Anytime, anywhere. You know, Pat is in really good shape.